0: The following sermon was preached at Liberty Baptist Church. We exist to showcase the glory of God by being and making disciples of Jesus. To learn more about us, please visit our website at lbcliberty.org. Well, if you are still open to 1 Timothy chapter 3, that's good. That's where we're going to be camping out. If you're not, go ahead and turn there now if you have a copy of God's word with you. I'll be uh, referencing a few other verses here in just a moment, and we'll actually finish our time together by looking at an example we find in Acts chapter 6, but for the majority of our time together, we'll be, again, camping out in 1 Timothy. I want you to consider something with me for a moment. Every time that we as a church baptize someone... Or every time that we partake of the Lord's Supper together, every time that we gather together like we are this morning to worship the Lord our God, these these very acts, they give expression to the wonderful truth that God has not called us to walk this Christian life alone. He has made us a family and he has made us a people. And I want you to consider this, in God's kindness, in his wisdom, he has not left us to our own devices as to how we are to act as a people, but through his word, he has instructed us as to the nature and the design of the church. The past few weeks, we have been going through a series of sermons that we're calling the church according to God, that is the church according to what we see in his word. And, and really quickly, a, a member after the first service came up to me and, and said this. It was, it was actually very encouraging to me. She said, do you know, the last few weeks have not been the most exciting, <laughs> but they have been very helpful. And, and I hope that this is true today and throughout the rest of the series. Here's a very quick recap. So we started by looking at the mission of the church why the church exists and what a church does. We then look specifically at the role of members within a church. So, first, members as keyholders that is the responsibility that God has entrusted to the congregation to receive and dismiss members and to guard the doctrine. Then, members as ministers that is the responsibility that God has given to each one of us as a congregation to care for and minister. To one another. This morning and throughout the rest of the series, we will consider the leadership within the church. The next three weeks, we will look at the roles of elders or pastors or overseers. These are all same, or different titles for the same office. But today, we start by looking at the office of deacon. The title of the sermon, Deacons as Servants. Deacons as Servants. If you're taking notes, Here's a quick road map of where we'll be going today. So first, we're going to look at biblical background. That is, what does the scripture say about deacons and even what does deacon mean? Second, we'll consider who deacons are. Who deacons are. Here we will look primarily at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Third, what deacons do. So who deacons are, what deacons do. We will consider implications from First Timothy, chapter 3, and then we'll look at that example that I mentioned in Acts. And then finally, why deacons matter. And here we'll conclude and try to tie all this together. Hey, uh, would you, really quickly with me, would you pray? God, I pray that even by pausing now, you would help us to feel the weight of our absolute dependence upon you. Lord, as the psalmist prays, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, God, would, would they be acceptable to you? You are our rock and you are our redeemer. It is for your name's sake that we pray these things. Amen. All right, so first a bit of biblical background. Here's a couple things to keep in mind as we look at the role of deacon. One, the meaning of deacon. The word deacon is actually just a transliteration of the Greek term diakonos. They sound similar, don't they? Which can often be and it is translated simply as servant. It is a person who helps or serves others often in a subordinate fashion. So, for example, when we read the account of Jesus turning water to wine in the Gospel of John, the attendants at the wedding who serve under the master or the head waiter are called servants. Or, you could say, deacons. In this sense, the words servant and deacon can be interchangeable. Pastor Tyler mentioned a few weeks ago that his sermon title, Members as Keyholders, sounded a bit strange. Well, if, if you're sort of putting this together, our sermon title today could be Deacons as Deacons or Servants as Servants. The second thing to keep in mind is that surprisingly, the Bible actually does not say a whole lot about the office of deacon. And this is surprising, again, because the Bible lists two specific offices for the church, elder and deacon. And we just don't find a lot. The term diakonos is used in a more general sense, like the servants in the water-to-wine example, 29 times throughout the New Testament. But only two or three of those occurrences, one is debated, actually refers to the specific office of church deacon. So you might suspect then, as I mistakenly did, that when it is referenced, when the office of deacon is referenced, you would find detailed descriptions or examples of how deacons serve, but the opposite is actually true. The details we find in Scripture are sparse, or sparse. Consider these passages in the order in which they appear in our Bible. So here's the the two to three. First, the, the debated passage, Romans 6, 1 through 2. It reads, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, who is a servant or deacon of the church of Sincreia. So, you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. So, the debate here, the reason this scripture verse has uh, produced quite a bit of discussion amongst scholars and Christians over the history is was Phoebe a deacon in the more general sense or? Was she serving in an official capacity? And really, there's just not a lot of context to know for certain. Paul elsewhere uses that term diaconus to refer to Apollos, Timothy, himself, even others, and they clearly did not serve in the office of deacon. So many Christians, they just don't see sufficient warrant in this passage to think of Phoebe as a deacon. On the other hand, and we'll consider later who can hold the office of deacon, it is noteworthy at this point to say that this is the only occurrence in Scripture where diaconus is connected to a particular local church. Did you see that? Phoebe is a diaconess in one way or another of the local church of Sincreia. And for our purposes today, we will leave it at that. The next reference occurs in... The book of Philippians. Paul starts off his letter to the church of Philippi with this greeting. He writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, pause just to clarify this word translated servant here is actually a different Greek word. It could literally be translated as slaves. So, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, again, not a lot of information or context here that would provide insight into the role of deacon. Uh, there is at least, though, one simple observation I want to make, and namely that the office of deacon is distinct. From the office of overseer or elder. You see that he, he mentions two different offices. He greets two different roles. We will be helped to keep this in mind as we consider who deacons are and what deacons do. We'll see this distinction more as we look at First Timothy, but for now it is important to note that elders are seen throughout Scripture to have ruling authority over the church, and are meant to exercise authoritative teaching over the entire church. Deacons, however, serve in a distinct way by supporting the ministry of the elders. They do not serve as elders. So with this in mind, we turn now to the third and final place where the office of deacon is explicitly mentioned, and that is our text for today, 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 Through 13. Let's go ahead and read this again, these six verses here. So, verse 8 Deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slanders, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In this passage, Paul is concerned less with what deacons do and more with what deacons must be. So we consider now who deacons are. Look at verse 8 again. Deacons must be worthy of respect. In commenting on the qualifications of church leaders, D.A. Carson observes that what is perhaps most striking about this list is how remarkably unremarkable it is. Particularly so with deacons. Every single one of these character traits describe what should be true of all Christians. What I think is meant here then, by the qualifications for deacons, is that they are to be exemplary to the congregation. They model a life that is dignified and respectable. Matt Smethurst ask, what does this look like practically? Well, Paul sketches this out for us in the verses that follow. He starts with three negatives. So verse 8 still, deacons are not hypocritical. This is literally not double-tongued. Deacons must not speak out of both sides of their mouth. They must not say one thing to an individual or a group of individuals within the church and then say something contrary to another individual or a group of individual within the church. They must must not play both sides of an issue for political gain or purposes. Doing so would be an indication of fear of man and perhaps a thirst for power. And this is not suiting for a deacon. It would create disunity within the body and distrust towards church leadership as a whole. The second negative is deacons must not be given to drinking much wine. Deacons are to be self-controlled in their speech and in anything that would impair their judgment or hinder their witness. The same qualification is listed for elders, and the same principle can be found in the Proverbs for respectable leaders. The the work of a deacon is serious business that requires discipline and self-control. And then one more negative. Deacons must not be greedy for money. Many have seen here an implication that deacons are likely involved in the finances of the church. And this has certainly been true throughout church history as well as in our own local church. Either way, though, The principle here is that if someone is serving as a deacon for their own gain, or even just money-obsessed in general, they are not not cut out for the office. So now, verse 9, moving on to the positive qualifications. We've seen what deacons must not be. Here's what deacons must be. Deacons must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In contrast to the role of elder, a deacon is not required to be able to teach. At the same time, Paul does not assume that deacons are merely those who are most willing to volunteer or even most skilled to help with the needs of a church. Deacons must have a clear understanding of the essentials of the Christian faith and also be able to hold to these with a clear conscience. Implied here is a, a basic understanding of Scripture, but not just a head knowledge, a sincere belief that is lived out. This ties really well with the next qualification. In verse 10, we see that deacons should be tested and proved. This is more than a theology test or a skills assessment test, and yet Paul doesn't give us a process for how this works or even a a process for how this should look, or a timeline for how it should be done. But it is clear that deacons should not be appointed hastily or without much thought, and that their character must be affirmed before being formally recognized by the church. Doing so is a way to protect the congregation, the individuals being considered for the role of deacon and the witness of the church. It would be much less difficult and much less heartbreaking to find out that someone is not qualified for the office of deacon and and not appoint them than it would be to find out that they're not qualified for the office of deacon and have to remove them. Lord willing, as we continue to grow as a church and we appoint deacons in the future, this does not mean that each member should try to conduct an individual interview with prospective deacons. Can you imagine the poor prospective deacons? Oftentimes, it will mean trusting the recommendation of the elders or other deacons who have confidence in the qualifications of a prospective deacon. I think, too, though, it should encourage us, as, as Pastor Stephen alluded to last week, that we should be watchful of how fellow Church members are serving in general and, and to be intentional with getting to know one another, to carve out time so that we can know each other better and serve one another. This, of course, would include prospective deacons. Verse 11. We're going to skip it. For now, we'll come right back. Verse 12. A deacon should be the husband of one wife, managing their children and household well. This qualification, like the parallel qualifications you can find for elders in verse 2 and in Titus, it does not mean that deacons must be married or that they must have children. Paul's concern, rather, is that there be consistency with a deacon's life within the home and within the church. In regard to his marriage, a deacon must be a one-woman man. This certainly prohibits polygamy, but even more than this, it suggests that deacons must be maritally faithful, both physically and in their hearts. Managing their children does not mean that deacons, along with the elders, have the most well-behaved little kiddos running around the church building. It does mean, though, that deacons are to lead not only their wives, but are to spiritually, spiritually lead and discipline their children. Matt Smethurst, again, helps us here by putting it succinctly when he says, There is no such thing as a qualified deacon who is a lousy husband or dad. Well, back to verse 11 now. Wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. I wonder if this verse seemed at all, stranger, out of place to you upon first reading, maybe when Pastor CJ read it at the beginning or when we read it just a bit ago. Here, Paul is talking about the qualifications of deacons. And then, side note, wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-control, faithful, and everything. And then he continues to talk about the qualifications, but goes back to referring to deacons in the masculine. Not only is the placement peculiar, but the word wives can literally be translated as women. So the term here is incredibly ambiguous. The CSB and the ESV, for example, translate this word as wives and then have a little footnote at the bottom often that will say, or women whereas other translations will do just the opposite. Like the the word deacon, we can only know how the word is being used based on the context. The question we have to ask then is this. Is Paul referring to the wives of deacons or is he referring to women as deacons? One thing must be said here. And that is that there should be amongst Christians an extra measure of grace and humility in answering this question. On the one hand, there have been faithful saints throughout church history and members today within our own local church who would hold that the office of deacon should be reserved for men. And at the same time, would earnestly desire that women should flourish within the context of the local church and would maintain that women are integral integral to the ministry of the church. We should be careful not to think of those who hold this view as being oppressive towards women or unnecessarily rigid. On the other hand, there have been faithful saints throughout church history and members today within our own local church who see this verse as support for female deacons, and at the same time would hold a complementary view of the roles of men and women within the home and church, and would affirm that the office of elder is to be reserved for men. We should guard against viewing those who hold this view as liberal in their view of scripture or caving into the pressures of our culture, which is so devastatingly confused on the issues of gender. This is more than just an interesting debate. It's in the Bible. And therefore, it's important for us to think through carefully. For our purposes today, let me give you just a few of the arguments from both sides of the issue and then a challenge for you to consider. First, reasons that this verse should be thought of as wives of deacons. Number one, as noted already, if there were to be I'm sorry, if this were to be understood as female deacons, it does seem strange, doesn't it, that Paul would interrupt himself to talk about women as deacons only to return back to the qualifications of men as deacons. Two, if Paul had intended for women to serve as deacons, one might think he could have made this more easily understood or clear. And number three, deacons' wives, it fits the flow of the thought in verses in these verses relating to deacons in their families. So that was reasons that this should be thought of as wives as deacons now, reasons that this verse should be thought of as women as deacons. Number 1, if Paul meant wives of deacons, it does seem peculiar that he does not include anything on the wives of elders. Number two, going back to Romans 16.1, many Christians understand Phoebe to be a deacon and thus see a scriptural precedent for Paul listing a few specific qualifications for women to serve in this office. And number three, in the context, Paul is listing qualifications for two official offices within the church, elders and deacons. Many find it unconvincing that he would stop to give similar qualifications for the unofficial church office of wife to a deacon. I've been helped to think about it like this. Are churches that allow women to serve as deacons sinning in this way? To be forthright, if you were to ask my view on 1 Timothy 3.11, I could say with a degree of confidence that I don't really know for sure. However, assuming that deacons do not function as elders, they do not exercise authority over the congregation or teach over men, I do not see any prohibitions within Scripture that would prevent women from serving in this way. So I would presently answer the question by saying, No, I do not believe churches who allow women to serve as deacons are sinning. Here's the challenge for you. Your pastors, we don't claim to have everything figured out as it relates to this difficult passage and the implications of how it's interpreted. If you ask us whether God really created the universe or if Jesus really died and rose again or if we are saved by grace alone, the answer is a confident 100% yes. If you ask us about this passage... Well, we're still working through it. And we know this is important because we want to align the structure of our church as faithfully as we possibly can in accordance to the pattern set forth for us in Scripture. So we think we should be praying and thinking together through this particular issue, and we would invite you to do the same. If you have questions or, or concerns or, or just want to know more about what the Bible says relating to what we've been talking about, it would be a joy for any one of the pastors to be able to have conversation with you. With all that said, we still have to flesh out the responsibilities or the work of deacons and what that can look like practically. So we continue. We looked at who deacons are. Now we look at what deacons do. If the Bible says relatively little about who deacons are, It says even less about what deacons do. This does not mean, though, that the Bible is silent here. And while it may be tempting at this point to think that the Bible would be more helpful if it were written differently, we must resist the temptation to trust in our own wisdom instead of the wisdom of God. So first we have some implications from our, our passage we just read in First Timothy 3. As you may have noted, when Pastor CJ was reading the qualifications for elders and deacons, there is overlap, or some of the qualifications are repeated between both offices. At the same time, there are important distinctions in the list that he gives, and these provide clues to us as to the role that deacons play within the life of the church. So here's three notable differences that I think are the most informative. First, the title of the two offices. We have already considered the meaning of the word diaconus, servant, but consider it here in comparison to the role of overseer. Overseers, by definition, exercise oversight. They are called to provide leadership and direction to the church. In contrast both in the title and even perhaps the order in which Paul always presents these two offices, deacons serve in a more supportive or subordinate role. Second, it is notable that while both the overseer and the deacon are required to faithfully manage their household, for the overseer, Paul specifically connects the management of the family with the care of the church. So many see this as further reinforcement of the idea that overseers have ruling authority over the church, whereas deacons are meant to assist in ministry. And finally, as we have already considered, what is perhaps most notable in comparing the qualification of overseers and deacons is that deacons are not required to be able to teach. This is especially true because the ability to teach is the only gift or skill that is listed among the qualifications of an overseer. Whereas teaching is one of the main responsibilities of elders, deacons do not hold an official teaching rule. That doesn't mean that deacons can't be gifted to teach. My mind goes to one of our own deacons, Shane Homan, who I was so helped by a few, couple years ago, I guess it was now, as he preached in our five solas service. It just means that they do not have this God-given responsibility. And beyond these implications, I think the clearest picture of the work of deacons is probably found in Acts 6. So if you would, turn to Acts 6 now. And while you're doing that, I'll just say that many Christians have long seen in this passage uh, the origin of the office of deacon. What's interesting is that the office of deacon is not explicitly mentioned in the passage. The character of the servants described in the passage, it matches the qualifications we just looked at in 1 Timothy. And the verb form of deacon, to serve, it shows up twice in the passage. But while I don't think we can definitively say that these men are deacons, I do think we see helpful parallels that give us a pattern for how deacons are to function in relation to church elders and the congregation as a whole. So let's read this together. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on or to serve or to deacon tables. Brothers and sisters, Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry or the serving or the deaconing of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Essentially, what is going on here is that as the early church of Jerusalem grew it became increasingly difficult to meet the very real, the very tangible needs of those within the congregation. Specifically here, the Hellenistic Jewish widows, that is, Jews who spoke Greek and had adopted many of the cultural customs of the Greeks, were being overlooked in the distribution of food. This is a big deal, isn't it? The apostles recognized the need here and knew it could not be left unaddressed, but they also realized for them to take this on themselves would essentially create another problem, namely that the ministry of prayer and the word would be neglected. So they came up with this proposal. Have seven men set aside to support the ministry of the apostles. Like the seven... Deacons are needed to serve the church in the following ways. So first, deacons should be meeting tangible needs. This is going to look different from church to church and even from season to season within a particular church, but like the need to care for widows in Jerusalem, deacons help serve the congregation by taking on the real needs within the church so that elders can continue in their ministry through prayer and through teaching. Second, deacons should be promoting and protecting the unity of the church. Notice that Acts 6, it begins with complaints amongst God's people. It seems that one reason that this issue was so important was because it was not only leaving a tangible need unmet, but it was causing discord amongst the people that Jesus himself died to bring together. This is one reason in which we can say that the work of deacons is not merely physical. Deacons aim at protecting the unity within the local church. And finally, deacons support the ministry of the word and the spread of the gospel. Look again at the end of verse 7, how the disciples increased greatly and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. The work of deacons, though as menial at times as serving tables, is not disconnected from God's mission for the church. God is pleased to use the humble service so that the word of God will continue not only within the church, but also outside of the church to those who are lost. The work of deacons helps to make possible our mission of fulfilling Jesus' command to spread the gospel. Again, even as deacons are understood biblically, the specific ways in which they serve is going to look different from church to church. John Hammett suggests that perhaps one reason why in God's providence, we are not given explicit job descriptions for deacons is to allow them the flexibility to serve in a variety of of ways that matches both the present needs of a church and their own particular giftings. In our own church, our deacons serve in task-specific roles. And so while COVID has interrupted this ministry or has placed it even further behind the scenes to some degree, we have, for example, a deacon of benevolence, a deacon of ushering, a deacon of shuttle parking, a deacon of ordinances, a deacon of security, a deacon of relocation, and so on. And all of these things, they help in the three ways we just discussed. They meet tangible needs. They help to unify the church, even if by helping us to gather every Sunday. And they free up your pastors to teach God's word, both corporately and in individual conversations. We conclude with this, why deacons matter. So we looked at who deacons are, what deacons do, and we finished with why deacons matter. And, And I hope at this point, this is already clear to some degree. But Here we have some summary thoughts. Deacons are a gift from God to the church. Think about this. Of all the ways we might think to structure a church, or all the roles we might think helpful, God has seen fit to establish an official office of servant for the good of his people. Deacons serve and support the ministry of the elders, and, and we just touched on this, but here I, I have in mind not only that they free up elders to, to pray and to, to preach, but also that they protect elders from burnout. The work of deacons no doubt allows your pastors to be present and faithful in leading their own families. Number three, deacons mobilize and equip others for service to the church. This hasn't been touched on as much, but one way in which deacons are models of service is by organizing and preparing others for the work. So going back to our own deacons, we don't just have one person who works security or one person who is thinking through relocation, but rather these men are organizing and working with others who God has gifted to serve in these areas. And finally, deacons ultimately point us to Jesus. Jesus came to serve. He is the one who, before his crucifixion, washed the feet of his disciples. He is the suffering servant who was despised and rejected so that we might be reconciled to God. Even as deacons are to be model servants for the church, deacons finally look to Jesus as the ultimate example of what it means to serve. 1 Timothy 3.13, we skip this one too. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In God's wisdom, those who serve faithfully as deacons will receive two specific rewards, one that comes more directly from God and another that is expressed by the church. So I leave you with these three encouragements. Number one, know who our deacons are at Liberty Baptist Church. Number two, reach out and encourage our deacons. Let them know that you are thankful for how they serve the church even when it goes unseen. And number three, finally, make time to regularly pray for our deacons and their ministry to us as a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the church. We thank you for establishing the office of deacons for the good of your people, the spread of the gospel, and the glory of your name. And finally, God, we thank you for your Son, who took on flesh to serve and rescue us from the bondage of sin and death. Lord, we ask that you would help us as a church to honor your instructions that you have set forth for us in Scripture regarding the nature of the church in your design for the office of deacon it is in the name of christ jesus that we pray these things amen